But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she stopped, or she stooped, to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, uh, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he has, when, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark on the nails, mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Uh, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to them, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, thick old passage we're going through today, but it's a very good passage. I I enjoyed going through this passage. Um, I guess let me set up the context um, of what has happened kind of in the past couple of days. Uh, Christ died on the cross on Friday. It's about three days later um, when um, when they're like outside of the tomb. Uh, what happened is Mary Magdalene uh, found the empty tomb, told Peter and John to come, and they verify the same thing, that the tomb was empty. Um, 
Mary didn't understand that Christ, according to the scripture, will rise again. Um, I'm not sure if Peter and John completely understood. Uh, it's kind of hinted at that John understands that Christ has been raised, but doesn't really understand the meaning behind it, and he leaves the tomb. Um, but the tomb is empty, and they don't know where the body of Christ is. Um, Mary Magdalene is now outside the tomb grieving uh, because she thinks Christ is dead and that someone has now taken the body of Christ, um, which is where John 2011 picks up. Um, but in the last Bible study, we saw the confirmation of the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the, res the beginning parts of the resurrection of Christ. Um, we as the readers have... Uh, after knowledge while reading this that Christ has resurrected uh, but you know like I said with like Mary they don't have uh, this confirmation that Christ has resurrected and uh, thinks that someone has taken the body um, the next few passages that we're going through here are really showing the confirmation of the resurrection uh, where John went through great extents to show that Christ is actually dead in the previous passages he's now showing the great extents of which Christ shows to his disciples and others that um, that he is resurrected, you know, showing people his wounds and having people touch them to have confirmation of his resurrection. Um, but yeah, let's go right back to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw the two angels in white, uh, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Okay, so, um, like I said earlier, Mary didn't know that Christ had been raised yet, and she is continuing to grieve outside of the tomb. Um, but when she's grieving, there is two angels when she steps in to, to look. Um the gospel accounts kind of vary on the description of these angels, um, with uh, Matthew describing it as angels in 28, uh, 28 verse 2, Mark describing it as a young man in 16.5, or Mark 16.5, Luke describing it as two men in Luke 24.4, 4, and later giving a clarification in uh, Luke 24.23, calling them like visions of angels. Um so that's something to note when going through the Gospels. I don't think that this is an inherent contradiction because angels can appear in human form. And in the things like in Matthew and Mark, they might be singling out the angel who specifically spoke to Mary. And if you go to uh, Hebrews 13.2, um, it kind of like gives a evidence or gives a, the claim that angels can appear in human form um, in be kind of difficult to discern between the two. So I don't think it's an inherent contradiction with how the angels appeared. It's just a variation in how they describe it. Um, but moving on to uh, one at the head and one at the feet, um, this, is, uh, so this is like symbolism of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubim 
uh, are placed at the head and the feet of the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25, 17 through 22. Again, if this is a Jewish audience, they would understand that symbolism of the placement of the angels at the head and at the feet. Similar, there's a lot of stuff in John, like I've said before, in previous studies or previous like meetings and stuff like that, that um, there's a lot of like I am statements, a lot of like claims that are pretty much instantly recognizable to a Jew- Jewish audience because of what they're taught from a young age um but yeah mary's now with the two angels and her confusion continues they ask her uh, why are you weeping and she said to them they've taken away my lord and i do not know where they have laid him so she still uh thinks that christ has not yet raised and his body has been taken away um and she is continuing to grieve because of this uh verse 14 Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus uh, standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All right. So, Mary doesn't recognize Christ at first. Uh, I mean, this could be due to like a couple things of like either skepticism that Christ has raised and just thinking he's a gardener, uh, the grieving portion of uh, her eyes being teary eyed and uh, being very distressed. She might just not recognize Christ at first. Um, whatever the exact reason is, it's, uh, they don't recognize Christ at first. And a similar thing happens, uh, in John 21, four, uh, where Peter doesn't recognize Christ at first. So it's something that's kind of uh, happening consistently. Um, but yeah, they, uh, Mary instead assumes that Christ is a gardener, um, Let's see in verse, uh, oh man, how have I lost my train of thought like this? You turn around, Jesus, do not know it was Jesus, woman, why are you weeping? Uh, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him to take him away. Um, so she confuses Christ for a gardener and continues to try to find the body of Christ so that she can have the body of Christ and have it not be taken away by random people um little did she know the body of christ was right in front of her um but yeah uh, christ um during this asks her why she is weeping and all that stuff and um yeah so she's trying to can get the body um and then verse 16 uh, jesus said to her mary she turned to him uh, and said to him in Aramaic, uh, Rabboni, which means teacher. Um, Christ reveals himself to Mary not by identifying himself, but he identifies himself with one word that cuts through the grief and the emotion uh, that is causing Mary not to recognize that he is Christ, that one word being Mary's name. Um, uh, there's a great quote by Spurgeon um, that is in particular to this verse of 
Jesus can preach a perfect sermon in one word of uh, all the word that he needed to to have Mary identify him as Christ and have belief in him and to see that he has resurrected was only her name. He um, he shows her who he is by how he talks to her and how he comforts her all in one word. Um, and then Mary presumably um, kind of grabs onto Christ in a very, in, in like a way of physical embrace. Because uh, in the next verse, Christ says, do not cling on to me, uh, which is kind of in a normal reaction, I would say, to cling on to someone who you thought was dead but is now back to life. Um, but yeah, so presumably embraces Christ. Um, but let's move on to the next couple of verses here. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Um, so, right, do not cling to me, like I said in the last verse. Uh, I don't think that this is, a, this is not a phrase that Christ says because the like touching of like a physical body would dirty his resurrected body. I don't think that that's what's happening here at all because you see later in verse 27 where he invites the disciples to touch his body. Uh, rather, uh, I think he is telling Mary not to cling on to this earthly version of Christ because he's going to be ascending soon. And the version of Christ that Mary is now going to have to cling on to is the heavenly Christ that sits at the right hand of the Father, as it says in Psalm uh, 101 verse 1, um, that Mary should not find her hope. Mary should find her hope from now on pretty much in the heavenly Christ who rules over all uh, rather than the earthly one who she knew. Um, she says, uh, or sorry, uh, Jesus tells her to go to his brothers and say to them, uh, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Um, it's uh, one, one interesting thing that I'd like to point out is uh, Christ saying, go say to my brothers, um, when he's referring to the disciples, as it says later in the verse of that Mary went and announced to the disciples of the the close relationship between Christ and the disciples, between the teacher and the disciples to refer to them as brothers. Um, that's just something interesting that kind of caught my eye when going through this. Um, but then we have this thing um that he tells Mary to say, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Um, there is a kind of, uh, there is a unique relationship between Christ and the father. Uh, uh, the easiest way to put it would be to say Christ has divine sonship, whereas we have redeemed sonship. Um, and I think uh, this uh, this is a quote from Augustine, who was an early church father, which I really enjoyed for this. Um, he uh, uh, 
Augustine put it like this. He says, not our father in one sense, therefore he is mine. And in another sense, he is yours by nature, mine by grace, yours, my God, under whom I also am as a man, your God, between whom uh, and uh, you, I am a mediator. Um, it is Christ's father by divine nature and by who he is. And uh, God is now our father by the grace that we've been given, by the gift of salvation that we've been given, that we are given new life in Christ. And this new life entails being a child of the father. And we've been given that by grace, uh, which is so important to remember. Um, so Mary went to the, went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Um, I want to point out the uniqueness in this of the first, um, the first witness of the resurrection is a woman. Um, it is very, revolutionary for the time pretty much i mean uh, obviously in a modern day people uh, will throw claims at christianity for being sexist and bigoted because of the complementarian nature of a man of a husband and a wife um but it's uh that, that's a totally different discussion for if that's sexist or not but uh for this time this is quite different from what uh, other religions are saying and what other people are saying. A woman's testimony in court is not even recognized. Um, they, they do not care about a woman's testimony. However, Christ says that he cares about a woman's testimony because he is appearing before a woman and telling her to go give this testimony to other people. Um, I just found that that very interesting. Um, but Mary goes and gives the testimony uh, to the other disciples. Um, I'm going to stop for a little drink, and then we'll move on to verse 19. <sighs> Always got to keep that throat moistened. Is, is there any, um, any questions so far at this point in time for what we've gone over? The bomb is typing. Is the Mary here the same Mary that gave birth to Jesus? No, uh, this is a different Mary. This is Mary Magdalene, um, who was a part of the women who were at the cross, who a lot of them were named Mary. So they're, they're different Marys. There's like three different Marys, so I understand it's, it's hard to to keep up. Yeah. All right, well, if that's the only question, uh, I'm going to move on. Verse 19. Um, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Um, so the disciples 
they lock themselves away for fear of the Jews, for fear of uh, persecution that will come because of uh, being a disciple of Christ. Um, we see it later in Acts of the, the death of the brother of Jesus for proclaiming Christ. Of uh, The Jews are going to actively persecute these Christians. Um, and they were locked away for fear of that, for fear of the Jews persecuting them and possibly killing them. Um, and they have the doors locked and everything. Um, but Christ comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. Um, this is normally, it's a normal greeting for in the Jewish culture, but there's something so, uh, so welcoming for it to the disciples of Christ showing up and telling them to have peace for peace to be with them. Christ has defeated death. Um, and, uh, he has resurrected, and the first thing he says to them is for peace to be with them. All is done with this plan of redemption, and peace is now needed in the hearts of the disciples to have the peace of the Lord and the joy of the Lord that comes with it. Um, Christ then shows his hands and his side in verse 20, um, and after they had that moment of seeing, they were glad that um, that they saw the Lord, um, seeing his wounds and seeing that it is actually him turned their, their hearts to gladness to see their teacher whom they thought was dead. Um, Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And we had said this, he had breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, uh, they are forgiven they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All right, so um, Christ is now, um, uh, Christ again reaffirms the message of peace that he's telling to the disciples. Um, Just as the Father sent me, now I send you. And Christ is now giving us a call to action to now be sent um, and to now reflect him. Christ came down from heaven, uh, put on flesh to then spread the truth, and then die on the cross and rise three days later. Now we are called to uh, step into the world as a new new people with new identities that we've been given in Christ and spread the truth just as uh, Christ has done. We're supposed to reflect him in that. We're supposed to now self-sacrificially give the truth to others, just as Christ did for the glory of God. Um, but Christ does not leave them empty-handed. Um, this uh, this appearance is uh, similar to Acts 2.4. Uh, I think it's the same account, but just from uh, a different per- perspective. And uh, yeah, uh, verse 22, and when he said this, he had breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So Christ uh, does not leave the disciples empty-handed. He breathes the Holy Spirit onto them. He breathes new life into them. This is a, such a big parallel to Genesis um, Genesis 2-7, where God breathed life into Adam, the man of dust. Now Christ breathes a the Holy Spirit into the disciples, where the disciples had the life that Adam had, 
but that life was now dead to sin. That life was now unredeemable by their own works. Christ then takes them and breathes new life into them. He breathes in this wonderful and holy life as redeemed children to glorify God and the spreading of his truth. We have died to our old sinful lives, and now we are made new, and we should reflect Christ in our new lives that we have. Our old identity is crossed out, and now Christ has given us a new one. Um, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this um this verse and uh, the other verse that a lot of people cite in Matthew twenty six is um yeah I, it's often portrayed to be a sacramental responsibility of the church. That is what uh, Roman Catholics would teach that it is in their hands to do the actual forgiving and the actual washing of sin. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think that that's what this verse is saying. I think that this verse is uh, still giving responsibility to the church, obviously, but it's giving not a sacramental responsibility, but it's giving a church government responsibility and how a church operates and things of that nature. Um, It gives the church the responsibility to say to repentant believers that they are forgiven by Christ. Um, this sh- this is shown in how we preach the gospel. Uh, this gives the disciples the authority to actually let people into the church and proclaim this person is a Christian and their sins have been forgiven. This is a fundamental aspect of church membership involved in this verse. Of uh, That's a fundamental aspect of baptism. Of In order to make a public proclamation of faith, you have to say that this person, their sins, they have been forgiven and they are made new in Christ. Um, this person is now one of us. They are now a part of our church body, and this church membership is attesting to their belief in Christ. On the opposite side, we have um, excommunication, which is the opposite of church membership, where a person who is a part of this church is now declared to not be a part of the church. Um, uh, This is where the church declares this man who was a member of the church is not a Christian because they refuse to repent of their sin. Uh, The only sin excommunication can be done for is that of impenitence or refusal to repent of sinful actions. That is uh, one of the easiest ways to identify a non-Christian is if they are in sinful actions constantly and they say, uh, and they are unrepentant about it. They do not care. And excommunication is a whole process where you go with them with one person and then with two or three people, and then you put them before the church. And if they're unrepentant throughout all of those steps and they're unexcommunicated because they are no longer showing the fruit of Christ, they are showing that they do not care about the gift that Christ gives and they are not regenerate in their heart because a regenerate heart wants to produce regenerate fruit they instead are producing dead fruit fruit that does not matter fruit of a sinful life and if they refuse to repent of that this is where the church gets responsibility to excommunicate them Uh, the steps for excommunication are laid out in Matthew um, but I think that this verse and the verse in uh, I think it's Matthew 
It's either Matthew 24 or 26, um, are particular in the church's responsibility of membership, baptism, and excommunication, all church government stuff, rather than being a sacramental uh, responsibility of the church is the one who is cleansing the sinner. No, it's the church is the one who is recognizing the sinner is being forgiven. Um, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But when he said to them, Unless I see his hands and marks and the nails and place my finger in between the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Thomas said to Jesus, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, so Thomas was not in the room earlier when Christ appeared to the, the disciples when they were locked away, so Thomas did not see uh, the risen Christ uh, at the same time that the other disciples did. Um, Thomas devolved into skepticism, and um, he his uh, requirement was that he saw the marks on Christ's hand um, and the the pierced side and that he feels inside of those things um eight days pass uh in verse 26 and uh christ appears to the disciples again he uh, does the same greeting of peace be with you the peace that christ brings and uh jesus he fulfills the skepticism uh of thomas by having him touch the wounds that he has uh, um, and he uh, tells uh, uh, Thomas to stop his unbelief, essentially, of um, put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He's condemning the disbelief of Thomas. Um, but then verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God, that is the most... That is the simplest form of a proclamation of faith that you really have in the New Testament is um, so the claim that, that essentially telling Christ, my Lord and my God of I believe. That is Thomas giving the most, uh, the easiest proclamation of faith. Um, and uh, yeah, he is, uh, he is saying that he believes now. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, so Christ condemns the skepticism of Thomas and says, uh, Those uh, who believe without seeing, they, they are blessed. Um, this kind of applies to us today uh, because we do not have... Uh, we, we do not have Christ appearing before us and us feeling his uh, pierced hands and his pierced side. We have uh, the testimonies that we have been given by John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. Um, we have these reliable testimonies of Scripture. Uh, however, Thomas has, has had those same testimonies from those people directly in person, yet still not believed. Um, 
this is um, just we we are told to not have this sort of unbelief and to not have this sort of skepticism. Scripture is complete for everything that we need in life, including the verification of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We should flee away from the initial unbelief and skepticism that Thomas holds and rather find hope in Christ because we are given this testimony from these people um, who are eyewitnesses to this event. And... Uh, we should believe off of their testimony, off of scripture, of what is happening. We, we should not need a further verification of Christ's death that is outside of scripture. Um, it is because uh, it's not something that's ever going to be satisfied. The only way that Thomas would have been satisfied is to feel the, the holes in the hands of Christ and the piercing in his side. Um, in short, believe the Bible and put your, your faith in Christ. Um, now we're at the, the last two verses here. Um, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, so John admits that he has not included uh, every single sign that Christ has done. Um, this is kind of this is seen pretty clearly in the flow of the book of John, uh, where we have a prologue and then a bit about John the Baptist, and then uh, Christ in verse two or in chapter two is already thirty years old. Uh, whereas the other books like Matthew and Luke have a whole genealogy of Christ that happens before. Um, so there is a distinct message that uh, John is trying to uh, apply with his gospel and a distinct group that he is trying to uh, give the gospel to, um, that being that Christ is Lord over all, and it's, he's aiming it at a Jewish audience. Uh, John includes what he finds to be most important and what is necessary to show that message uh, effectively. However, um, I, I would encourage y'all to read the other gospel narratives, uh, especially Luke. If you want to see like everything that has happened, Luke goes into amazing and great detail on the whole passage of or on the life of Christ and, and all the works that he has done and stuff like that. But uh, the ultimate purpose for this book in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. Um, so this gospel is written so that we may believe. It is written that people like us who are reading it today will have faith in Christ in the name of Christ, that he is Lord over all, and um, that we should glorify him and live redeemed lives. The purpose of this book is to make people Christians. <laughs> That's uh, kind of almost an obvious thing, that, um, that the purpose of the Gospels is to make people Christians. Um, however, here is it said plainly, of that we may have new life in his name, in the name of in the name of Christ. Um, this kind of this whole little like purpose of the book flows very, very well from 
condemning the Christ condemning the unbelief of Thomas uh to then say that this book is it it has what you need to believe in Christ and that's what this book is written for and to not be have this skepticism that was initially had by Thomas um and that you should believe in the lordship of Christ and the salvation that he brings and that we have new life in believing in the name of Christ and we are given this by grace uh and that we should use our new life to reflect him um, in the spreading of his word, this great commission that happened earlier, as well as killing sin in our own lives in order to reflect Christ. Um, yeah, uh, that's all the verses. I I have a few um, applications, I suppose, and then uh, we can... Uh, if y'all have any questions, we can talk about it then, or um, we can uh, just pray and be done. But um, first one what? is one. Is this our last Bible study? No. It's the last one. Did I just say that? Yep. Last. No, it's not the last one. I, I misspoke. It's this the last is. One ever. Not no. never doing the, I guess you guys will just have to come to my uh, my Wednesday studies. All right, that's a server mute. Um, I gotta continue, Michael. Let me just finish out, and then we can have our fun times. I'm unmuting you. Um, all right. Believe uh, in the gospel, John. That's the first application. If you aren't a Christian and you're here, uh, then find comfort in the gospel and put your faith in Christ. And you should not have the unbelief in that that Jesus condemns. Because it is ultimately more uh, satisfying and just better to believe in Christ uh, from our standpoint, I suppose, to give glory to God and to have the joy that he gives is such a refreshing thing to have and to have our hope be rooted in something. Um, and then if you are a Christian, uh, Remind yourself of the gospel daily. Remind yourself of what we've been reading daily. We must be on guard and constantly in remembrance of the gift of salvation that Christ has given us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we are we should be reminded of the gospel pretty much every week. I and mean, hopefully your churches would do communion every week. I understand a lot of American churches don't, but that's a time where we're supposed to be reminded of the gospel, uh, literally a symbolization of the good news, that being the gospel. Um, and we are supposed to go throughout our week reminding ourselves of it daily because the only way we kill sin in our lives is the remembrance that Christ has died for us um, and that he has given us the Holy Spirit to kill sin by the Spirit. Um Another application or another thing to do is uh, read the Gospels, uh, not just John, but but just continue to read the Bible and just uh, find uh, just further love in Christ and faith in Christ. Christ is our mediator, and we are seeing the fullness of his resurrection and redemption of man, and we ought to praise him for that um, in this passage, and you can see it in other passages as well. Um, lastly, we were given a command in here of spreading the gospel, of to, um, just as the Father has sent Christ, um, that he, that Christ is now sending us, and that we must uh, share the gospel 
and constantly reflect on the gospel and reflect on his truth and his love um, in an attempt to have people come to faith in Christ. Ultimately, it's it's the Lord saving people, but um, uh, obviously spreading his word and his truth is something that we're commanded to do and something that is good to do. Um, yeah, let me, uh, I guess, is, is there any questions before we're really, before I pray and then we can be done. No? Okay, then then let me pray for us in that and then we'll we can you can do whatever you want, I guess. Lord, um I thank you for this time that we're able to just read through John and to see your glory and to see you resurrect, Lord, and to glorify you for that, God, because you have defeated death and you have given us salvation in you, Lord. Um, I just pray that we'll go throughout our week uh, spreading your truth and spreading the gospel, as well as constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. We are so fragile and we, we forget the grace and the and just everything you've given us so easily, Lord. Um, I just thank you that you have given us scripture and you've given us the Holy Spirit to constantly remind us of your word and constantly remind us of what you've done, Lord. Um, I just pray for everyone here that we'll be able to uh, just read the word and to pray and to praise you and to love you daily, Lord, and we'll never forget all that you've given to us, God. Um, I just pray for all these things in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. Amen.